Welcome to season three of the Jesus of Love podcast. I'm your host, Emily Mills. And I'm your other host, Brett Mills. We are founders, we're creatives, we're entrepreneurs, and we're activists. We're musicians, and we love Jesus. We've learned a lot serving the Jesus Said Love community, and this is the space we'll get to talk about. Ever learning, ever growing, ever loving. So come with us and explore how we can awaken hope and empower change together to create more space for love. Hey, Emily. Hey, Brett. How are you? I'm well. I am very sore because I'm getting back into my yoga routine now that we're back in our home, and I feel like all my muscles are screaming at me a little bit because we've been very disoriented, and we don't know how to move really well. That's true. (laughs) This has been the craziest. We're getting unstuck. And it's good to be back (laughs) at the podcast. Like We haven't been able to do this in a couple of weeks, and anyway, it's it's so good to see your face on the screen. Mm-hmm. And then I'll get to see you in person later today. Right. It's so good to see you too. Um, okay. Well, for our listeners, I'm really, really, really thrilled to have uh, someone I've long time uh, followed for a long while on the in- the interwebs on Instagram. And um, as I moved probably four years ago into um, more of a healing uh, space in my own life and for our organization at Jesus Said Love and began following more uh, contemplatives, I learned of Becca Stevens' work and uh, the community that she had birthed in Nashville called Thistle Farms. And we are so thrilled to have her on the show and to now be a part of the Thistle Farms network. Hi, Emily. Hi, Brett. Becca, thanks for being on. I'm happy, happy to be with y'all. And I love just, I know that people aren't looking, but behind you, Emily, there's just Mm. a series of beautiful, peaceful icons. So I can imagine just a bit from that, the journey you've taken. And it makes me feel like we're already friends. <laughs> we are. We are friends. And yes, that is the piano space with a lot of uh, Russian, I think they're Russian Orthodox icons and then some little vintage things I picked up here and there. But it's a healing space for me in my home. So thanks for noticing that. Mm-hmm. Well, tell our listeners a little bit, uh, if they don't know who you are, um, tell us who you are in the space you take up in the world. I'm Becca Stevens, and I don't know what space I take up. I feel like I'm trying to keep moving so I'm not taking up too much space. And I've been doing that for my whole life. I'm Mm. talking to you from Nashville, Tennessee, where the headquarters of Thistle Farms is located, which is a global movement for women's freedom. And I'm proud to say you guys are our newest sister organization. We started almost 25 years ago now, um, providing long-term free beds with no authority in the house for women survivors of trafficking, addiction, prostitution, all the, all the um, things that happen as a result of childhood trauma, of gender-based violence, of the violence and vulnerability of poverty, you know, that women just endure on their backs. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mean that both metaphorically and literally. Yeah. And so 
it's been this growing, beautiful way for us to connect small groups of women for years and years to do justice enterprise where we're making things, we're distributing and selling things, we're creating, you know, survivor-centered communities. It's just a fun way to do the oldest work in the world, mm. which is to be together in love. Jesus said love. Jesus yes. said love, you know. And what I love is that when we uh I don't think there's been, you know, there are there are a lot of networks out there. You know this. There's just I feel like every other week there's a network that we're kind of supposed to be a part of or that and that's not bad. I mean, it's good that there's this like energy to connect. Um but what that's I bad. what I bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I will say that you and I are in a network together that's the only network around actual housing. Yes. And so, which is why, you know, JSL and Lovely didn't qualify at first because for a long while we began as an outreach um, ministry to women in commercial sex. This was 18 years ago, uh, 2004, 17 years ago. 2004, we began. Um, working with women and working alongside women and involved directly involved in commercial sex. And what we recognized was years later, we're like, we can't, this outreach can't be the only thing. That's not a transformational model. Right. So we start building, what do you want? We start asking the women, what do you want to do? They're like, we need jobs. Are you kidding? Like we need jobs. We need to make money. We want to start our own businesses. And so we begin to develop programs around those needs for holistic job training and healing. But what we didn't have and what we haven't had is a residential component. And that is something that for a long time, why though we loved the work at Thistle Farms, we really wanted to be connected with the network. You guys were really like, listen, it's got to be housing and jobs. It's got to be all of it. And so when we committed to that vision, um, you guys were like, okay, let's go. Let's jump on board. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just want to say one quick thing, and that is for anybody that's listening to say, you know, you hear a lot about in the in the world of human trafficking, the word rescue. Mm-hmm. It's like, what are you rescuing people to? Do you know what I mean? Like, you have to say, you're dropping me off at a hotel. Awesome. At, back at my parents' house where the first rape happened. You know, like, what is happening? And, like, so for me and for I think for everybody, it's like, you know, what does the sanctuary, the safe place mm. where you can actually be there long enough and be safe enough to look at all the crap that's gone on for all these years that led you to a place where you thought the best option was selling yourself mm. or letting someone sell you. You mm. don't have any choices when that's the option. Right. And so I totally am so grateful that y'all have made that huge leap. I mean, some people would say, you know, like once you're doing the housing, you're going into the weeds. Mm-hmm. And I think like, yeah, we go into the weeds because yeah, that we are. things well, that- are well, and, and it's where we and, found Moses, right? So, like, so like a couple of years ago, it sounded really cool for us to be able to say that at one point in our history, we were reaching over a thousand dancers across Texas. Mm-hmm. But, but when you look at that one thousand dancers, it's what what truly is the impact? Is it that I gave that we gave you a gift bag? Is that the impact? <laughs> Versus now we are honing it, we are getting into the weeds. Mm. But you can't get into the weeds with a thousand people, but you can get into the weeds with 
10 people mm-hmm. and there's the impact. And so Becca, I've been fighting this battle for so long, trying to get grant folks and donor mm-hmm. folks to get that mindset that measurables doesn't have to be quantity. It should be quality because that's what is impactful change. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I want to say, first of all, we could do about 20 podcasts just on what we need to do to educate higher education folks mm-hmm. who are interested in service learning, foundations that are interested in giving, not-for-profit management that's interested in how you're providing funds. It's like some of it has been a lie mm-hmm. that we've mm-hmm. been given. Yes. It is quantity. When you take 10 women, it is quality, but it's also quantity because what happens with those 10 women and people have said it forever. You get a small group of powerful women together. They can change the world. Mm-hmm. And that is what happens. What, you, what you're not doing is saying we're going to take a 1,000 women and, like you said, give them a gift bag and nothing changes. Mm-hmm. But in this small core community, women do this powerful healing work that heals their whole community. Yes. And so I felt so great when we started with five women. And now, you know, our... Our sister organizations, thanks to your five women, my five women, you know, the ones in San Antonio, the ones in California, the ones in Alabama, the ones in Maine, everywhere. 550 women have safe, Mm. safe, long-term free beds where they are not being charged to be there. And that is quality and quantity, and it's changing not just the 550 women's lives, it is saying to everyone, we're going to challenge a culture that still buys and sells women. Yeah. Hmm. We are going to challenge laws that still criminalize victims. Yep. We are going to continue to challenge, you know, every for-profit model and say, guess what? Love is a profitable, profitable business. Mm. And we are going to do this and we are going to scale, we're going to sustain, and we're going to change this world one group of women at a time. Mm. I'm so on fire right now. I'm as on fire as my <laughs> Japanese maple outside the window is on fire right now. And I believe this to my bones, but I think that I didn't always have, um, I didn't have the lens. I, I couldn't see what I knew was real. And I think one of the beautiful things about Thistle Farms is Becca, you, you chose to see this and you, when you saw it and you saw what could happen, you chose to dig in, but then you chose to share it. Like your ability and the the Thistle Farms model of this hospitality, not just with those that you reach, but with organizations is so collaborative and so beautiful because there's so much that we hold so tightly that we just don't want to share the goodness. We're scared, I guess, of running out maybe. I don't know, but it's a beautiful invitation to really get to see what you've, what you've built and then to be on the recipient end of just um, looking into that model to see how we're doing it. So tell us this, why, why did you start? Thistle Farms, why did you start Magdalene Houses Residential? What was it in you that said, we got to do something? I want to say, I will answer that, but just in response to what you guys have been talking about, is I just want to say everything was given to me. Mm. When we started Thistle Farms, we couldn't rub two nickels together. 
and people were very gracious. And what I believe is that if all of us give out of gratitude for the mercy we've known, and I mean give, mm-hmm. um, it will be plenty to go around. I had a board member early on that said something like, we ought to charge people for the program because people needed skin in the game. Yeah. And I was like, are you <laughs> kidding me? Of all the people in the world to ask if you've put skin in the Ooh. game. Wow. Yeah. It was like, I think they've put enough skin in the damn game. And what yes. we need is to give it away. And somehow, in the again, in the work of justice, we keep getting this, sh- you know, short, do you say short shift, short shrift, something, mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. we get. And people are like, you have to do it for a lot of people on the cheap. It's exactly what Brett was mm-hmm. talking about. And it's like, no, you can do it as a gift to each other in a non-competitive fashion with sister organizations, with women. You know, we're, it's not about a franchise. It's not about doing anything but saying, I want to continue to be grateful Mm-hmm. I want to live gratefully. And in order for me to live gratefully, I need to share what was so freely given to me. Mm-hmm. Because my story is that, I mean, I started out pretty broken. I think grief is probably my first memory. Mm-hmm. You know, with the early death of my father by a drunk driver and then subsequent child abuse for years, for years. Mm-hmm. And that has its tolls and it's horrible and it's holy sacred ground and many of your many listeners I know share some of that story but there's also um, you know a lot of people who help me and there's a lot of gratitude and that's just as an important part of that story you Mm -hmm. know love and I knew compassion and community as well as the brokenness and the messed upness and the control Mm. and the fear and the pain and all that and all along the way there were people who um, forgave me who showed me kindness who gave me scholarships to go to school Mm -hmm. you know who saw something in me that I don't even know that I saw myself and that I I, I was I always knew I always knew I was going to be a part of being on the same team as the underdogs (laughs) I mean, that's the team I want to be on. Right. <laughs> what made you guys all get all up in all this? My story is very similar to yours. I didn't lose my father um, to a drunk driving accident, but um, I am a survivor, an overcomer of childhood sexual abuse for many, many years. Um, and that has been something a lot of times people in the early days where we would work with women would say, oh, you know, I come from, we come from the evangelical kind of lens. And so they would say, gosh, it's, doesn't it feel amazing to be um, reaching out with salvation, you know, saving these women and you're, and you're really saving them. And I've even had women say, you know, you saved my life. I've had, and I've said, you saved mine. (laughs) Uh, You're the gift that this ministry has been to me has been one of seeing. I I couldn't see my own story for really what it was. I I really just didn't even have the language in the lens. And so, you know, I had a I had an intuitive compulsion to fix and to save. <laughs> and that was often promoted by an evangelical culture to fix and to save. And so the grace to me, the grace 
is that you jump in and you can't save any of it. You can't fix any of it. You can't save any of it. And there's this radical acceptance that you are not the hero. And you get to participate. I got to participate in the healing that we could all experience together, that we really could only experience together. Like I wouldn't be on the healing journey without the women who have literally, I've, you know, every time we've walked into a trauma care facility or every time we've walked into a training, I don't, I don't just carry them. It, I, my own story goes with me and I get to see myself in a new way. So, and then I married Brett and he got drug in. <laughs> I got drug in. Yeah. But and totally. he jumped in. He is a fierce advocate and, um, yeah. And I'll let you share Brett, why, why you're a part of this journey and why you said yes to it. Cause we were musicians and, yeah. and you like, you jumped in. I don't, I don't know what I said yes to. All I remember is you saying, let's take Easter to the strip clubs. And I was like, okay, that'll be a fun story. Um, and here we are today, 18 years later. Um, mm. But yeah, I think you're right. I think you, you just said it. You know, we, we did go in thinking we're going to, to help people because mm-hmm. that's what Jesus would do. <laughs> and we went and found Jesus with them. <laughs> Jesus was already there. He was already, he was already at the clubs. He was already with them. And so, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think I said that to people, to seminary students when they come to do internships with me. I'm like, if you have trouble writing a sermon, go to prison. Don't go to a library. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I also want to say, Brett, it's more than just being an advocate. If you are married to an overcomer, a survivor, somebody that's gone through all that drama. It says a lot about your soul. I've been married to my musician husband yes, for 33 years. And I know that when we, you know, I could date anybody. Dating was not a problem. That's just part of the whole game. The marriage thing, I was 24, 25 when I married him. And he says that my body was like, um, you know, had landmines in it that he yes. would test me in places and I would literally explode and go off and I was not well. Yeah. Sometimes I was okay and sometimes I was not well. And to have a man mm. who can love you through all that and respect your power. Yeah. <laughs> and um, still um, respect your sexuality at the mm-hmm. same time. Mm-hmm. And be intimate through that is mm. a great man. So, Brett, I bow deep to you. Mm. Oh, I just have tears in my eyes. This, that is, is, this is not what we planned in a podcast for all of this. <laughs> it's a, it's mm. a blessing, and it's a knowing. You know that space well, so mm. thanks for seeing that. Yeah. Well, I feel like that we have so much kindred things in our souls about both wanting to live out of our faith and challenge that same faith. True. That both of us are living in gratitude. Both of us know the the nature of creativity and justice mm-hmm. is fueled by a lot of the same motivation. Mm-hmm. You know, to live a life both in music and rooted in justice, that's the best life. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. I just... People will ask. They'll say, and and I do think to some degree there are there are things that 
I may have even, someone may have brought this up at the Thistle Farms training, but I remember thinking a lot about the, the life, death, resurrection cycle. And there are seasons where I feel that music gets buried in the ground and, and it's, it's, uh, it feels so far from anything that's able to bloom out, you know, on top of the ground. But I, Always, I mean, music was my first, my first way to healing. And I didn't know until my counselor told me, you know, Emily, your, your singing and your writing were grounding you. Mm -hmm. I mean, you were experiencing trauma from five years old, probably before that, but I don't know. But isn't it weird what you try to remember? It is the craziest thing. I mean. I'm telling you, like, I was probably five, maybe younger, who knows, blah, blah, blah. And I go like, yes, yes. And here's the other crazy thing. So I had to go back and try to figure all that stuff out. Mm -hmm. I went back to my abuser to say, this is what I remember. Mm -hmm. And he told me I was crazy, that I had hallucinated all of it. Mm -hmm. I may be in, you know, like somewhere else in my life. And he corrected one of the incidences that I remembered. And I was like, you did do it. I am not frightened. Yes. Thank you. Yes. You know, I mean, we had a whole long conversation and set boundaries Mm. stuff, but it was like, he just confirmed that it all happened in my little girl head. Yeah. Which is so crazy. And then of course the next question is who have you told? Yeah, of course. And it's like, I got some really bad news for you. (laughs) (laughs) See, that's kind of part of the work that I'm called to. You know, you're like, hey, uh, this is what has this. It's our story is how we overcome, right? We know that. It's that giving language to what has happened in our bodies, all that trauma is just stored in that midbrain. I mean, it, it has no language. It has no, it has smell. It has, it has sight it, but it has no language. And so I've learned that, I mean, that's what we're talking about is this healing grace, this healing space that we get to be in as a part of the work of Jesus said, love is that as, as we're giving these tools and we're learning these tools, we're all bringing our own stories to the banqueting table to, to be healed. And it's just been, it's been so transformational to, to do that story work, to do the naming, and then to help um, give those same tools to other women to say, you can, you're not crazy. You're not crazy. And what your body knows, your body's trustworthy. Your body is so good and so trustworthy, no matter what men or what other people have have told you. Um, gosh, it's just it's just beautiful. So, okay, my next question is: as I'm thinking about um, your journey forward, obviously your our stories inform a lot of the work that we do. What's what's one of the binds? Because I think a lot of people listening to this would say like. I've experienced this and I'm a helper, I'm a healer, I'm a doer, I have a heart for justice. And there's kind of these like hangups that come along with that territory. What are some things now in hindsight you would say, I would maybe watch for this or, or what do we need to know as, as people who have experienced trauma and are now 
extending healing and justice to the world. So I want to go back to one thing you said, and then every time you start talking, I have like 50 things I want to say. I keep crossing my fingers so I can remember. And I then I'll stop. Question. Yeah. <laughs> so in response to the last thing about having these experiences in no language, I just mm-hmm. want to say when I was eight years old, I had this trick I used to do when I went to bed at night. And the trick was, in my mind, I would pour concrete down my throat, mm. and it would weigh my body down. And then I could go outside my body and watch myself sleep. Mm. And I thought it was like, just like a little kid's trick. Mm-hmm. You know, later on you learn that's called disassociation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not a great thing to do. And it was like, oh my gosh, I've been doing this since I was a little kid because that was the safest thing, just to leave. Yes. It's going to happen, just go up here and be safe Yes. later on come back and then I thought how wonderful it was when I got the language that my body knew how to protect itself and mm-hmm. protect the mind so that I was still in a, in, you know, in a really hard way nurturing myself being safe to myself and I think mm-hmm. the more we trust ourselves even when we don't have the language even when we don't have complete understanding if we can somehow relax enough and trust ourselves enough, which is your whole yoga practice. Oh, it is. You know, it's like, if I can do that, then I'm going to, I'm going to be okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be okay. And even my eight year old self knew that. Mm-hmm. What I would say to anybody who is going through this journey um, as both a healer and a helper is, you know, the first thing is, you know, just what you said. It, we don't. The world doesn't need a bunch of heroes, and this mm. is not really, really unbelievably new work. This is really old, old work to do the work of love. <laughs> you know. So we're just being good hosts to each other and just relax about it. You know. <laughs> you're not going to have this big insight. I'm not going to have this big insight that goes. Here is the trick to healing. <laughs> call it an art. That's just mm. it. Just call relax it. about it. Just yes. relax. And like, here's the four steps, you know, from life, you know, trauma life on the street to complete, peaceful, owning your home and own business. It's like those steps do not exist. And if they did exist, there would be three steps back, one step up. So just mm. practice. It's an art. You know, the best we can do is continue to be good hosts to one another. Second thing I would say is, you know, Come to the healing work to learn, not to teach. For me, if I can come into the circle as a learner with the women I work with, instead of, oh, here's what you need to do for your healing. Mm -hmm. If I can come in with, can I hear your story? Mm. You know, I'm probably going to be a really good partner and learn and maybe offer some comments that, People will either resonate with or forgive me for whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing is I think we have a lot of fear when we go into the work about, you know, are we not just capable or um, heroic, but also, you know, are we worthy? Mm. You know, if I'm so broken and messed up, maybe I'm not even worthy to do this work and I fear that somebody's going to go, who do you think you are to be doing this work? You know, <laughs> who do you think you are to be saying, 
you know, doing a podcast called Jesus Said Love. <laughs> you know, given what I know about you, I mean, I'm saying that's right. a thing that people have. Totally. You have to like. I remember the first time I was um, at this national church convention for the Episcopal Church, and I got yelled at. I was. Um, it was all around um, a bishop who. Mm-hmm. Um, a gay bishop who was getting, I can't think of the word, but a lot of people have to say yes to approve it, voted on. Uh-huh. Um, but there's there's an Episcopal word for the word voted because there's an Episcopal word for every word. <laughs> um, anyway. Like I ordained, got, like an ordination? Like kind of? ordained. Okay. This confirmation. Confirmation, okay. Confirmation of the um, duly elected bishop of New Hampshire who mm-hmm. was first openly gay bishop in the Episcopal Church. Mm-hmm. And this person started just yelling at me and saying, how can I call myself Christian and support him? And I remember going like, man, if I'm just getting a little bit of this, mm. imagine if I were part, you know, if I was in any way LGBTQI on that, in that community, what would I be feeling in the judgment? And at that point, I was just free. I was free. I was like, I don't care if people don't think I'm worthy, don't think that th- they maybe think I'm heretical, whatever the mm-hmm. thing is. I don't have to worry about it anymore. That's that's part of this work. And it's really freeing to go, it's okay if you don't think I'm worthy. If mm-hmm. I can say I am worthy. Mm-hmm. If I can say, um, today I feel worthy to love you. Hmm. That's big. Mm-hmm. One of the things around, I guess this fall, it'll be five years. And I, I talk about this openly. I'm in an Al-Anon support group. So um, I've worked and I'm working, continue to practice the 12 steps. And one of the things that was so powerful to me to say kind of as a mantra is I am loved, I am loving, and I am lovable. And I just, and every day, one of those would hit me different because some days I wouldn't feel loved or some days I wouldn't feel, or I'd feel like, okay, I know I'm loved, but I don't feel lovable. Like I know that I'm loved, but I'm just not feeling like I'm lovable. I'm feeling hard and crunchy and edgy and I don't feel lovable. And so to remind myself that I was lovable. And then to those who would say, you know, that you're not loving, you're self-righteous and judgmental, or you are, uh, you're crazy for, you're projecting your trauma by doing this, all the things that, you know, I've heard. Um, I am loving. This is the most loving thing I can do with my life. And I come back to that mantra all the time. I'm loved, I'm loving and I'm lovable. And I think as humans, we just, you know, a Catholic mentor, she's no longer with us, but Macrina Whitaker would tell me, Emily, remember, you begin at beloved. You begin at beloved. And I think for evangelicals, Becca, that was not the message. It was we began as worthless sinners. Original goodness. (laughs) Original goodness was not the theology at all. And so just even in that shift has brought immense healing, immense healing. And and it's it it almost it takes the load off of you then from everyone else because everyone begins in original goodness. 
everyone begins at beloved, you know, not just some, but all. And so I don't have to now course correct and be the Holy Spirit on the earth (laughs) for every person's sin and whatever I'm calling that, you know. So I just, yes, I resonate so deeply with that, knowing you're worthy, knowing you're loved. It is a relief. It, it is it is liberation. It is liberation. You know, um, I've been thinking while we're talking to the other way, I think, that we do this work. And um, I really love, by the way, that you have these four beautiful icons and Brett behind him has like the head of a deer. <laughs> <laughs> we're a mashup. That said everything, and it really points to what I'm going to say, too, is that the way Jesus said love was oftentimes not in words, but in these really practical ways, too. Mm. That in many ways, Brett has an icon behind him, too. Yeah. And, you know, what I love about this work is it's very, very practical. Yeah. And it feeds people. That you say Mm. feed people, and it says love when you house people. It says love when you help people find the meaning in their work and paid with dignified wages with vacation time and 401ks and all of those things that people are needing in their life. And I think I would go crazy if it was all just in my head or an Mm. intellectual process that the healing has to be practical as well as intellectual for me to grasp it. I mean, if you look by me, you can see a big arts and crafts. <laughs> farms, you see a big arts and crafts project because I think it's revolutionary to love like that. Mm-hmm. To make something, to say it's another way of saying I'm worthy, I'm loved, I'm beloved, I'm lovable, I'm loving. Mm-hmm. It's like I can make a hat, I can mm-hmm. create a hat, I can give it to my son. And sometimes when I make it, I think, this will probably be the only thing that outlives me. I mean, that this will be the one thing that outlives me that he's going to remember. Not everything I said, but he's going to remember that I made him this beautiful hat with little sheepies on it. Yes. <laughs> yes. And don't you think the cool part of that, though, is it's not systematic. It's unique. So each expression of love is unique. And so in the same way that we, you know, come alongside those we're serving, in the ways that we love them and they love us is unique. It has to be because we're all unique people, right? So I, that, that's what I think keeps it fun. I, I, I teach it. So Baylor University is that we're in Waco, Texas, and uh, Baylor University is here. So I, I get a chance to teach every semester, and I'll teach tonight. And, and I always get the question, what is a normal day like at JSL? <laughs> Hell, we're 18 years in. I don't know what a normal you, – you never know what it's going to be. It's because every day is unique because Mm -hmm. every person we encounter is unique. Mm -hmm. And so we can't boil this work down to a system. You know, you can't just say, well, if we do a plus B plus C, then D will happen. Um, So anyway, thanks for noticing all these little things. Cause yeah, (laughs) there's a lot of uniqueness going on here. I know. And I wish we could almost see all the people that are listening, like all the unique Mm. things on their heads too, whether they're floating inside their heads or actually pinned on the wall. Mm. Because I do think you're right. It's, it's like, can I see you? Can I see your imprint, your uniqueness? And can I love that? Yeah. Yeah. And if I can love it, then, then we're, we're good. Mm -hmm. If I can't, there's going to be maybe violence in words or thoughts or deeds or whatever. Yeah. 
I think um, one of the questions that I wanted to ask as well is you talked recently about the physics of love on your Instagram. Oh my gosh, thank you for reading it. I did and I it resonated and I want I thought I want her to share what she means by the physics of love if we can dig in a little bit there. Sure. So in my mind, so I was a math major in college. Oh, I did not know that. Yes, I love math. It's like wow. music. It's the universal language. Wow. Okay. You know, it's, yeah, it trans- it's so systematic, and you seem so anti-system. No. no. I seem, it's not systematic. It's, it's huge. It's symbolic. It's theological math is mm. universal. Don't think of accounting. Think there you of, go. Math theory. Think bigger mm-hmm. than fair point. Fair point. Yeah, like think of um, Euclid geometry or diminishing lines or beautiful mm-hmm. sound waves. That kind mm-hmm. of thing. okay. Yeah, the other I can't do. I can't balance a checkbook. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't even think there is a checkbook anymore. I don't no, I don't think so either. I have no idea if what they say on my app is right or not. That's what I want to say. I just. 100% completely trust, trust whatever the app. that is. Trust the app. And that is very sad because I'm sure it cannot be 100% right. <laughs> but on the physics of love, mm. in my mind is that the idea of um, linear equations, one plus one equals two, that would be a linear equation. And I think a lot of times in the work of love, we think that, okay, so I'm going to love you, you're going to love Brett, Brett's going to love blank, and it's one by one by one. That's not how love works at all. Mm. You know, it's um, an exponential formula. Mm-hmm. Mm. Two to the second power to the second power to the second power. Um, so that when I create this small community uh, in love, when you create, when you help be a part of, when I help be a part of a community of love, those five women let's say, in the home, maybe reach 30, 40 people that they're loving and bringing into that circle. Mm. Reach 30 or 40 people, and it becomes this thing that is much bigger than we ever could imagine and has, you know, it, the outreach is unbelievable. It takes a long time. You know, when they say a butterfly flaps its wing, the wind is felt, you know, in Japan, it takes mm. a long time to go through the twists and turns and over the oceans and valleys on the mountains and love is that same way, but it does move the world. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying everything is a drop in a bucket, the image I get so many times is that there's this amazing um, desert and we put one drop in it Mm. and it makes no difference. That's what a drop means. Instead of saying there are thousands of drops in already this moving ocean Mm. and it ripples and moves Mm. and it causes big waves. Mm. Mm -hmm. What's so beautiful about that to me is that, that it, it is so disruptive to wanting a quick solution to these huge problems that we see, these huge injustices when we wake up and we're looking at the TV and we're looking at Instagram and we wonder if our love matters, right? We wonder, like, 
what's the point if I am like really trying to start the day that way? (laughs) (laughs) I'm probably a little more, I don't know, morbid. No, not really. But, um, but we can get tired. Yes, for sure. We can get, we can get really tired when we feel like we're not seeing the results. And so I think the key is to trust the model, trust the physics of love. Yes. Trust and accept that there is a greater formula at work here, that you aren't the solution, this radical acceptance that you're not, you're one organization is not going to see the end of everything in its lifetime. It's just not. But we can make a huge tidal wave of love for the next generation, right? Yes, that makes me so happy. A huge tidal wave of love. Is that y'all going to write that song? I don't know. Maybe we should. The love that ends the tidal wave for the next generation. I'm going to work on it. Yep. I'll send it to you if we do. But that's. I think that's why I probably just loved your equations. I thought, you know, I needed to hear this, that we're all, that I have to trust that everyone doing their part makes a bigger impact than what I'm seeing with my own eyes and, and that what my human condition is wanting to toil and work for and see progress. And I'm just not going to see it quick enough. None of us are going to see it. This is a long way of love. It's, and we, we, were, we were formed by some of those drops and felt those mm-hmm. ways. And that, I mean, just the love that you and Brett share, Mm. that is part of that uprising of love or that next wave coming forth. Mm. And it's like, I'm okay being, you know, just part of that ocean. I'm really good with it. (laughs) But so many people aren't good with just being a part of the ocean. They want to... No, they want to fix the ocean because the ocean is not right. Yeah, or be the ocean. (laughs) Well, be the ocean. Good luck. Boy. Those people, I like to call them that. Those people need to think like we people. (sighs) Like we. I have totally, totally been that person. Yeah. I have those those people. When I'm at my best, I am good. Mm -hmm. When I'm not at my best, I can feel it. It comes out in frustration and anxiety and anger. And, you know, again, there's so many solutions to that in this long walk towards justice that you and I are all taken Mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. There is the breathing. There is the trees. There is these crafty things. Mm -hmm. There's daily rituals. And Mm -hmm. there is a community that can go, Emily, you need to get a grip. You're not the ocean. (laughs) Right. (laughs) so good. It's so good. JSL is not the ocean. Thistle Farms is not the ocean. I'm not the ocean. Brett's not. It's so much bigger. Yeah. (laughs) It's so big. Um, This long way of love can, it it can take a lot of uh, energy. So I, I think that what I love hearing about you is there's a community aspect to this building that we were made for one another. We were made from community, from love, and for one another. What is what is a story maybe that we want to kind of wrap up with, but what what is something that can t- from your community there in Thistle Farms 
a story that would come to the surface that helps you take this long road of love because those give us energy to kind of keep going. Well, thank you very much, Brett and Emily, for letting me just get to know some of your friends. And I hope, you know, some of them follow me on Instagram and we get to DM each other and those circles of love keep growing. And because we were talking about oceans and love, the story that's coming to my mind is Doris, who you met when you were at the farm. She's one of the senior ambassadors of Thistle Farms, and she's helped start communities all over the world. And she would tell her story as excuse me, being trapped in a 10-block radius for 26 years. Hmm. And she came into the program with her, you know, just amazing Doris spirit along with a bunch of brokenness and fear. And she had been trapped forever, really, in so many ways in her life. And the first time we went to help start a community in Florida, she told me she had never seen the ocean before. Wow. Wow. You know, and so many women who have seen the inside of prison walls and the underside of bridges, the backside of anger and the short side of justice haven't seen, you know, that vast expanse Mm. of the blue and the horizon and everything. Mm. You and I are conjuring up these images of oceans. Mm. Never seen it. Mm. So I got to be with her and hold her hand the very first time she walked on those sugar sands and took the Mm -hmm. first step of the ocean. And when she felt that tide she just raised her arms and she looked up and she goes has this been doing this my whole life and you know upon reflection I was just for a minute I was like Doris you know that tide's been going in and out since the moon's been going around the earth yeah I do believe that older and deeper and more powerful than that tide is love but it does take sometimes an entire community to help one person get down to the shore. Mm. Well, it's power. So that's my hope is that this community today maybe is helping one person that's listening. One person. Mm. Feel the power of love like the tide in the ocean. Thank y'all so much. That is so good. Becca, you are a gift. Thank you. To humanity, but you are a gift to us equally. We appreciate love, that. Love, love. We'll see you again down the road soon. Maybe I'll come to wake up. Come, come see on. Us. It's, it's the happening place bring, to be. And days. bring your people. We'd love it. Thanks for joining us. We hope this episode brought some light to your own story and hope for your journey. Make sure to subscribe and leave a comment. For more info on our work, visit JesusSaidLove.com. Until next time. Share the love.